We begin in Greece, where massive wildfires have left hundreds of people homeless and forced thousands to evacuate. The flames have been fanned by Greece's worst heat wave in more than three decades. More than 100 people, 120 people have died and hundreds more are still missing after the worst flooding in parts of Western Europe for several decades. Hello and welcome. Dozens of people in the Vancouver area of Western Canada have died in an unprecedented heat wave. Millions of people here in Europe have been sweltering in this summer's second extreme heat wave. And across... We start off with some breaking news. Severe storms across Germany have unleashed some of the worst floodings in decades. A new study says global temperatures are set to rise beyond the target limit of 1.5 degrees Celsius unless there are rapid and immediate reductions in greenhouse gas emissions. The UN Climate Panel predicts the coming decades will bring more extreme weather events like the floods and wildfires we've seen in the past weeks. The authors say the report is a final reality check as policymakers prepare for a crucial climate summit in November. Increasingly, I think climate news needs to come with a trigger warning, as individuals are increasingly aware of the impacts of climate change or are experiencing its impacts already. As a result, many are reporting physical and emotional effects in what is now being called climate anxiety. And we're not immune to this ourselves. In this episode, we share our experiences of climate anxiety and discuss with a licensed psychologist working with clients to cope with the feelings of despair surrounding some of our society's current crises. You are listening to the podcast Advancing Sustainable Solutions, broadcasting from the International Institute for Industrial and Environmental Economics at Lund University. This episode will be hosted by Catherine Shebb and Stephen Curtis. everyone, and welcome back to a new episode and a new season of the IIIEE podcast called Advancing Sustainable Solutions. My name is Catherine, and together with Stephen, we return as co-hosts of this podcast. We are early career researchers at the International Institute for Industrial Environmental Economics, abbreviated IIIEE. Our institute belongs to Lund University in the city of Lund, located in southern Sweden. Yeah, maybe we tell you a little bit more about the podcast. We release a new episode every month, available wherever you listen to podcasts. And our aim is to make sustainability research more accessible, more engaging, and actionable for you, our listeners. We connect each episode of the podcast to research, events, and people at our institute. We know that sustainability can be complex, and many of us just want to do the right thing. But sometimes we need help navigating the latest research or the most recent scientific understanding to act upon or inform our behavior. So we intend every episode to offer tangible and actionable suggestions to advance sustainable solutions. And we know that in order to have the energy to advance sustainable solutions or to take action for sustainability, we need to take care of ourselves. So In light of the extreme weather events over the last month, we wish to shed light on the emotional responses many are feeling with increasing awareness of our climate crisis and what is being called climate anxiety. 
In this episode, we will share our experiences with climate anxiety and the experiences of our colleagues to show that we are not alone in our emotions and the impact climate anxiety has on our work, relationships, and our hope for the future. And we also wish to share meaningful strategies to cope with climate anxiety and discuss with a licensed psychologist to understand this phenomenon better. With this episode, we intend to be helpful and hopeful. However, if you are feeling overwhelmed as a result of climate anxiety, we suggest reaching out to a therapist or family and friends that are able to support you. There are also numerous resources available online or in your local community. So for example, I've seen some fantastic resources at local libraries, places of worship, or local organizations committed to environmental or social issues. Later on in today's episode, we'll discuss with Frida Hilander, a licensed psychologist who meets with clients and works with young people experiencing climate anxiety. She says community and action are two important coping strategies, among others, which we'll discuss later on in this episode. But first, let's learn more about climate anxiety and hear from some of our colleagues and students at the IIIEE. So what is climate anxiety? Climate anxiety is not an official clinical diagnosis, but it does involve many valid emotional responses to the worry and uncertainty of living in a future impacted by climate change. For many, climate anxiety manifests in emotions of worry, fear, despair, anger, frustration, powerlessness, hopelessness, shame, and even guilt. Scientists and psychologists say that these emotional responses are valid, even sane or rational in light of our changing climate. They may be in response to a lived experience, so for example, those that maybe have lived through a heat wave or a flooding event, a hurricane, forest fire, or any other natural disaster made worse by human-caused climate change. Or climate anxiety may be felt by those working with or increasingly aware of the worsening impacts of climate change. And you might have heard of climate anxiety by a different name. So, for example, a similar emotional response is called eco-anxiety, capturing dread about additional environmental crises, both of which describe a response to worry of what may happen in the future. Related terms also include solastalgia and ecological grief, which describe the stress caused by environmental destruction happening in the present. Stephen, do any of these concepts or emotion resonate with you? (laughs) Yeah, uh, they sure do. Since first learning of the concept of climate anxiety, it's really helped me to identify the source of my emotions or anxieties, and as well as helped me to have the vocabulary to talk to others about what I am feeling and maybe why. In that way, I really think that it's helpful to have terminology like this, which is increasingly understood by society and understood by psychologists. Maybe it also helps us to relate a little bit better to these environmental crises and find our own way of working through and uh, taking action to address these challenges. At least that's been my experience. What about you, Catherine? Yeah, absolutely, Stephen. I think for me, the biggest uh, impact or change was when I first discovered about climate change. I had never heard about this growing up in Lebanon, and then I moved to the United States where I did my undergraduate degree. And the emotions and feelings that I had in response to learning about the climate crisis is what actually 
you know, I was studying history and I completely shifted to studying uh, climate change. And since then I've dedicated my career to working on climate change and climate change policy. So definitely I would say, I mean, these feelings not only impacted me emotionally, but actually pushed me into action to, to switch careers. But, you know, let's not hear about you and me only. We've decided to speak to some of our colleagues, too, that have been experiencing emotions of climate anxiety. And we thought it would be great to hear from students and staff from the IIIEE about their own experiences with climate anxiety. My name is Jessica Luth Richter. I grew up in the U.S. and I'm also Australian. And I am a postdoctoral researcher at the IIIEE. Hi there. My name is uh, Bjorn Wickenberg. I'm from Sweden, and I'm a PhD student at the IIIEE. My name is Michaela Feigova. I come from the Czech Republic, and I'm a former student of the IIIEE. Hi, my name is uh, Beatrice Kog. I'm from Sweden, and I'm a lecturer at the IIIEE at Lund University. My name is Dushan Manchandia. My affiliation to the institute is that I was part of the 26th cohort of the EMP program, and I originally come from New Delhi, India. Hey, my name is Ana Maria Velaiz. I'm a third-year PhD student at the International Institute for Industrial Environmental Economics, and I come from Bogota, Colombia. This is Johannes. Uh, I am a master's student of environmental management and policy at the IIIEE at Lund University in Sweden. I have experienced climate anxiety for uh, a long time, as long as I've been interested in environmental issues. Um, but to be honest, the more knowledge that I've gained, the more my anxiety has actually increased because my understanding of the problems has also grown. And while I have more understanding of solutions, I also have more awareness of how much we're not implementing the solutions on the scale that is needed to address the problems. I think that climate anxiety for me boils down to the tension between, on the one hand, knowledge about a climate that is getting rapidly worse, and on the other hand, knowledge about all the barriers on different levels of society, and knowing that there is so much built-in resistance in the political and financial systems of the world today that hinder us from taking more urgent action. I have definitely experienced the climate anxiety many times. And it's the immensity of the problem and how small and useless one can feel in comparison to that. These kind of feelings uh, really does make me frustrated and even like depressed, I would say. And it's just very sad. I would say, yes, I have experienced eco-climate anxiety. I feel grief many times when I learn about species going extinct or, or entire like habitats disappearing. I feel frustration uh, when I hear about daft politicians saying we need to hold on and wait a little. It's always there at the back of my mind and, and a lot of it manifests in whenever someone would ask me, what would you be doing in 10 years? And my mind would almost go to the 50% of emission reductions that we need to make as a society. It creates this feeling of helplessness and then also a certain level of hopelessness. So you really don't know what to do about it, but it's still there. I think I started feeling this anxiety as I had access to all the information on the knowledge that is out there that is describing how big and urgent is this crisis. So, I would experience this anxiety with many other feelings. 
So for example, I would feel worried or I would feel guilt when I uh, consumed something. So when I would buy a jacket or buy a plane ticket or something like this. I think it's more a combination of a climate policy or climate politics anxiety. What gives me anxiety is more the political environment that we are in considering climate change and climate issues. What frustrates me a lot is that um, we have sufficient knowledge about climate change, we have sufficient policy alternatives, but there is not a lot of political will. You've just heard from staff and students of the IIIEE about their experiences with climate anxiety. And what I found the most interesting is that the more we learn, the more anxious we feel. And it's this interesting dilemma because, you know, some of us choose to end up working in this path, but that only means that our anxiety increases, which means there's a stronger and more need, A, to acknowledge that this is real, but also to be exposed to coping strategies. Yeah. I mean, what I appreciated hearing is that uh, I'm not alone in experiencing these feelings related to climate anxiety. And psychologists or therapists, they're increasingly meeting with young people, professionals, and survivors to process this anxiety or distress caused by climate change. And you know what, what's interesting, Stephen, which I didn't know prior to this episode, is that this is not new for the profession. And since the Industrial Revolution, psychologists and researchers have been interested in understanding the impact of the changing environment and social conditions on our emotional well-being. So, for example, consider the emotional impact of mining or deforestation on native lands to indigenous or aboriginal people, of severe weather or drought to farmers, of thawing glaciers or heat waves on townspeople, and so the relationship between our environment or environmental change and our emotional well-being is well documented and felt across generations. This is not something that we just see now. But, of course, with increasing awareness of climate change since the 1990s, there has been greater effort made by the profession to understand the emotional impact of a changing climate on our well-being. And as a result, the subfield of climate psychology was born. More and more psychologists are treating patients, describing negative emotional impacts as a result of climate change. In conducting research for this episode, one other news item that I thought was particularly noteworthy was the inclusion of climate psychologists in the writing of the preeminent climate change report. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, abbreviated IPCC, will finalize the release of their sixth assessment report in 2022. And this iteration of the report will include several psychologists in the writing. I think this is an important moment in that it marks the recognition of the relationship between climate change and emotional well-being, which is increasingly acknowledged by our society's institutions. And what's also interesting that it's not only acknowledging the relationship between climate change and mental health, but also the impact that this has on youth specifically. And just maybe if I can insert here a quick personal story. So I, I was telling my sister about this episode and she said, climate anxiety, what's that? I never heard about it. And so I explained to her what it is about and everything that we're talking about today. And she stopped for a second and said, hey, wait, I think my son has climate anxiety. 
And she was saying that he had just watched an episode of Planet Earth and was crying and feeling very worried about his future. And that if he alone lived in an environmentally responsible way, it wouldn't be enough to save the planet. Um, but anyway, that was really interesting because as a parent, it was the first time that she had the language or understanding to recognize what her son was going through. Yeah. I mean, so young kids are very perceptive to the world around them and how events like climate change or the coronavirus is impacting them in the present and into the future. Absolutely. And for parents to understand what their children are going through and to be able to understand or give a label to this climate anxiety. I mean, just knowing that her aha moment was very empowering to her to help her relate to her son. And I think this goes very well with other headlines that we've seen in the news recently about, you know, youth and climate change. So, for example, The Guardian, the BBC, New York Times, and almost every major news outlet ran a story detailing the impact of climate change on young people's emotional well-being. And these stories were covering the recent journal article published as a preprint in The Lancet in September 2021. And this research, led by Caroline Hickman and an international research team, represents the largest global study thus far on climate anxiety among youth. And researchers surveyed 10,000 people between the ages of 16 to 25 from 10 countries, from anywhere to Australia, Brazil, France, Nigeria, the U.S., and I have some statistics from the survey. So of those surveyed, nearly 60% of young people, 60, 60, said that they felt worried or extremely worried about climate change. 45% of young people said that the feeling of climate anxiety impacted their daily lives. I think that that's a stark statistic. I know myself, I can sometimes relate to the feeling of doom or, or dread in what I describe as a sense of futurelessness. So you can imagine then the impact that climate change has on young people's thoughts about their future. So for example, the survey suggests that four in 10 young people fear having children due to the climate crisis. And the most compelling statistic I found was that three quarters, 75%, three out of four young people surveyed said they thought the future was frightening. And the research also suggests the cause of anxiety is not simply climate change or the feeling of futurelessness, but also in response to failure by those in power to act. Young people report confusion, betrayal, and abandonment because of adult and government inaction towards climate change. Again, we cannot fully imagine the impact this will have on young people later on in their lives and their ability to trust institutions meant to protect them. Where young people are supposed to be looked after and cared by the adults in their lives, they are now taking action into their own hands. Of course, inspired by Greta Thunberg, millions of youth have participated in global marches for climate change. Others are even taking their countries to court for inaction, arguing governments are failing their ethical responsibility to care, leading to moral injury or infringing on their human rights. And so their feelings of distress linked to climate anxiety could be regarded as cruel, inhumane, degrading, or torturous, and thus actionable in the European Court of Human Rights, for example. Beyond climate marches or suing your country, there are many other ways that we can act on climate change, as well as cope with our own emotional responses. Let's learn more from our next guest.
We are so happy to welcome Frida Hillande to the podcast. Frida is a licensed psychologist with a background in human ecology and working with all psychological and behavioral aspects of the climate issue. She's affiliated with Klimatpsykologerna, as well as working on a project with Folkuniversitetet in Sweden, aimed at young people experiencing climate anxiety. Frida, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So the topic of today's podcast episode is climate anxiety. And to maybe understand a little bit more about the clinical definition of anxiety, we thought we'd ask you a few questions in general about anxiety. Uh, first, I, I wanted to ask, why do we feel anxiety? What is that, uh, what is that response? We can say that feeling anxiety in one way is the body's and the brain's way of alerting us to some sort of danger. So it's, it's a bit like our, our alarm system, which, which is great. I mean, it's, it's a good thing that we have that alarm system that alerts us to any types of, of dangers and makes us, you know, fight or flight or, or freeze. But what, what tends to happen for us humans is that we can feel anxious even if we're not in the presence of an actual threat. So we can feel anxious just by imagining something or just by starting to think about something that might happen in the future or who that potentially could have happened in the past but didn't. So, so that's where it, it, it tends to get a little tricky for us that we can't always differentiate or that response uh, of anxiety can always differentiate between actual threats and imagined threats. And how do we link these feelings of anxiety to the topic of today's podcast? So you explained in general what we mean by anxiety, but how do we link them back to eco or climate anxiety specifically? Yeah, so, so the terms eco-anxiety or climate anxiety, which are a lot of times they're used uh, interchangeably, these two terms, but when we, when we sort of dig into what they entail, it seems to be the case that it's not always anxiety that someone is experiencing when, you know, when they say that they have echo anxiety or climate anxiety, but rather that uh, like within, within that state is, is a broad spectrum of different feelings. So that can be anything from fear to sadness, grief, disappointment, anger, frustration, and guilt. You know? so, so it's actually in one way, if we wanted to be like really specific about it, it's the term doesn't really define the broadness of the emotional states that people experience when they experience climate anxiety. And I think that helps us to maybe better understand what we mean by climate anxiety. How common is climate anxiety? It's, it's, it's a little hard to say, and, 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 I, and I think it's important to point out that climate anxiety, it, it isn't a psychiatric uh, diagnosis, it isn't a pathological state, it's, it's rather a very valid uh, and, and in a lot of ways a healthy response to the actual threat. That, um, that climate change or the climate crisis, crisis is posing. So, so like with that said, like the researchers and uh, partly also clinicians are 
still sort of in the process of, of trying to define like what is this and do we have like a cutoff for where when we can call it climate anxiety or when we should call it something else and is there like a difference between a very mild climate anxiety and a more severe climate anxiety you know so with that said uh, it's 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 in one way hard to say like how many people are experiencing climate anxiety, but in in service. So just um, speaking about Sweden, we know that when when uh, when you ask um, people if they worry about the climate, then um, a majority of people will say that they do. So it's 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 the top thing that Swedes worry about. Yeah, and that leads very well to actually one of the things we were wondering prior to having this conversation, Frida, with you, is whether this eco-climate anxiety is a global phenomenon, or would you say that it's more of an anxiety that's, you know, mostly maybe to European, Western, or even Swedish society specifically? That's a really good question, and I think that's a question that needs further investigation. Most research that's been done on climate anxiety, which isn't a ton of research, but the research that has been done has mainly been done in Western or European countries. But then again, those countries aren't perhaps the ones who are currently directly experiencing the consequences of the climate crisis. So we, I think that we would need to know more about how the actual consequences of the climate crisis is affecting the mental health of people who live through it. Um, so I think also when we talk about climate anxiety, there is perhaps a difference between climate anxiety in terms of worrying about what might happen to me or us later on and uh, climate anxiety related to having lived through a heat wave or other types of extreme weather or having to, um, had to migrate due to the you know, consequences of the climate crisis. But there is still a lot of investigation that needs to happen for us to, to better know about these things. As you said, I mean, there are people that are maybe working in a sustainability or a climate field, and then th there are those that have experienced firsthand with the impacts of climate change. You know, maybe in both instances, I'm wondering what are the effects of this anxiety or these these very valid emotions of anger or frustration or fear on individual lives? What are, what are you seeing in your practice? Well, what I'm seeing, like in my practice, for the people that that I actually see, and as I said before, like having climate anxiety isn't it isn't a pathological state but we do know that for some people it it becomes so overwhelming that it does affect one's life to the point where you actually need to seek professional care so I would say for the people that I'm seeing more in a clinical setting um it's like a range of 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 things that affects you. And I think for many people, it's, it's the feeling of like knowing about this, but seeing the rest of the world to a large extent not acting. And with that feeling alone, like feeling alone with your emotions and feeling like you're almost in a surreal state of being in crisis in a world where 
no one else is. So perhaps not no one else, but where many still aren't in. I think for many people, it's also it's also a feeling of never being enough. Like you can never do enough. And even if you spend all of your awake time doing the very best you can to mitigate the climate crisis, like there's never enough. So, so I think for a lot of people, they need help with finding some sort of balance between, you know, working, but also pausing, you know, to be able to, to find an engagement that is sustainable for a long time, because we will be, you know, we will be dealing with the climate crisis for the rest of our lives. I think for, for, for a lot of people as well, there's a true like sense of uncomfortableness of being the awkward person, you know, like being the person to call other people out or being the person who, you know, says no to going on that trip or that flight trip or saying no to doing something that feels unsustainable and to, to, to having to take those conversations with loved ones or with family or relatives or other people around them so and that can also create a really it's just I find that for a lot of people it's hard to like find your place being a person with climate anxiety and being a person who's engaged in the climate crisis in this world you know that experience really resonates with me. I often joke mm. about how I make really bad dinner company because mm. it's yeah. so it's so it's, it's so naturally I turn to many of the challenges that we face, uh, uh, sustainability challenges, and you know it's it's some guilt that comes with you know always either voicing my own experience or my own thoughts in relation to other people's actions or activities that you know, make, may make them feel uncomfortable. And I, I don't want to do that. That's not my intention. Uh, but it, it means that I end up isolating myself as a response. So I, I'm wondering, you know, for those that are maybe experiencing similar emotions or feelings, what are some coping strategies that uh, you would share for us? Well, we know that, uh, like one, one coping strategy that, that seems to be helpful more sort of in the long term is to find social support, like to be amongst others who who share the same concerns and who share the same feelings and where you where you don't need to be the uncomfortable one because everyone's sort of on the same page and, and just feeling that support seems to be really, really important. But but more more than that, it, it seems important to also be able to to actually engage in in like activities or engage in taking collective action and being part of, you know, being part of the solution to the crisis. So I would say like those two things, like we need to, we need to tend to our emotions and we need to give space for our emotions and we need to, to legitimize the emotions that we're feeling, which, which is usually best done in, in sort of a safe space with other people, you know, that you can, you can trust and where you, where you feel that your feelings are respected and your view on the, on the climate crisis or the current state of the world is respected, but then also to be able to take action with, with those people. Yeah. And I guess the good news here is that oftentimes you can find a community among those that are also interested in that collective action. For me, during the pandemic, where I've turned to is is Twitter, for better or worse. Um, you know, there, there's 
exactly. There, there's a, a fantastic community of people. I mean, climate Twitter, it's a, yeah. it's a beautiful thing. And I, and I love the support that people mm. um, provide there. But at the same time, it's also the source of so much anxiety, doom scrolling and so on. Um, yeah. <laughs> maybe somebody like myself, who is also finding themselves spending time on social media as a way to connect with people, but at the same time, fueling that anxiety, do you have any recommendations? Well, I, th I think it's important to give oneself permission to filter one's feed <laughs> and to filter the news feed as well. And to, I think, to, to ask oneself repeatedly, like, what's more helpful? Like, what do I need to be able to keep acting, not only in the short term, but also in the long term? And, and most times that also entails pausing and filtering and not taking, like not jumping into every fight, not jumping into every new report that comes out with a lot of, you know, anxiety triggering facts. Like, I think it's okay to sort of choose your battles, but also to choose what you take in and to filter something. So that doesn't mean that you're not going to be acting. That doesn't mean that you don't care. You know, it, it means that you're taking care of yourself in order to be able to act in the long term. So I think there's a real difference there. Um, and another advice is just like, just never discuss with climate deniers, like just, just don't. <laughs> Thanks, Frida. I think what I'll take away from this conversation is this focus of community, as well as mm. asking for help when one needs it. Um, and that yeah. means either turning to family or friends or, or a professional therapist if necessary. Yeah. And yeah, I just really want to emphasize that we know that it's common within sort of climate anxiety to, to not share your emotions and to feel like you're the only one who cares about this. And then other people are walking around not sharing, you know, and feeling alone themselves. So I think it is really important that we talk more about this and remind ourselves that we're not alone. Yeah, thanks. And I think that's a great note for us to end on. Thanks, Frida, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. We've just heard from Frida that action and community are two important strategies to cope with climate anxiety. Now we want to explore these ideas more and offer some additional helpful suggestions. Yeah, so first, it helps me to identify when I feel triggered. So that's when I'm experiencing maybe an increased heartbeat, shallow breathing, or anxiety or dread that literally physically manifests in the pit of my stomach. Often I experience this when scrolling social media or checking the news, and I found myself doing this almost automatically when I was just bored. So something that's helped me is to change when I partake in these activities. I've blocked Twitter during work hours, and I try to create supportive times when I read the news. So for example, maybe I select a quiet or comfortable space with tea. And it's not that I want to avoid this news entirely, but I want to change how I engage with it and how I relate to it. That sounds really healthy, Stephen. Psychologists warn of running away from or avoiding our concerns about climate change. With practice and under the right conditions, it can be helpful to identify and embrace one's emotions. 
The goal is not to try to block these emotions, but rather to prevent them from overwhelming you. Traditional stress coping mechanisms can be helpful here, from exercise to meditation to therapy or even journaling. Any activity really that falls under the banner of self-care, these will be personal and it warrants some experimentation to find the right activities that work for you. One resource I found particularly helpful suggests that people experiencing climate anxiety, they tend to cycle between periods of grief and periods of growth, and that it's helpful to identify where you are in the cycle to be able to adapt the right coping mechanism at the right time. In moments when I feel energy, I take the time to act in accordance with my values. So for example, this means exploring my way of contributing and connecting with like-minded people. Having done this, research suggests focusing on local issues or actions, thereby making the threat of climate change or ecological destruction more tangible, where individual action is more likely to yield positive outcomes. These are all really good suggestions, and we also thought it would be great to hear again from our staff and students at the IIIEE in how they cope with climate anxiety. How I deal with climate anxiety, I guess, is how I deal with any kind of situation where I'm overwhelmed. I try to break it down into smaller parts that I can do something about. So I look at my own life and areas where I can walk the talk, as we say, um, where I know that I can improve on lowering my greenhouse gas emissions in my lifestyle. I also try to do some more action-oriented volunteering. So I volunteer at a repair cafe. So I did a bullet list to kind of summarize how I try to think about it. And it goes like this. Be critically aware, but also optimistic and action-oriented. Talk more about good initiatives in the right direction, because these deserve more attention. Do something about your own consumption of meat, car-based travel, and housing. Rather slow down than speed up things. All efforts count, always. Well, I try to look for small things that I can change myself. So I would focus on both something that I can change directly, like my consumption behavior or travel behavior, but also talking to my family and my friends and also sending, trying to be more active with um, local politics and some companies that I feel they can do better. Mine is definitely um, escapism, thinking about something else. Uh, but there's also other things like thinking about what I'm doing in every capacity of my life, like how I shop, how I vote, how I, what I do in my work. Talking to friends. My, my classmates at the Institute provided me a nice, let's say, uh, you know, like the pillow you hit, you know, when you're frustrated. So, so my friends at the Institute provided me with that pillow because we could all rant off of each other and uh, we could just share our frustrations. I came across um, some research that is calculating the footprints of consumption. And then I start playing in my head with an environmental budget. And then I thought like, okay, I have this budget of emissions and this is my lifestyle. And I then could identify which were the actions that had the highest impact in my budget. I've always been political. I try to include it, include the solution making for climate change and climate issues in my professional academic life with deciding for the EMP program at Lund University, but also um, just accepting the fact and try to um, forget it sometimes to just stick with things that make life livable and joyful. 
Ultimately, everyone wants to feel heard and cared for. But are your emotions respected and acted upon? Well, that remains to be seen. With this episode, we hope to validate the emotions of many working with, impacted by, or increasingly aware of the impacts of climate change. Yet, we know that in order to address the climate crisis, we need action by every individual, organization, and government. And those with the power need to begin to act with the responsibility entrusted to them by current and future generations, as well as by those with less power or agency. In response to increasing impacts from climate change and continued government inaction, we discuss climate anxiety and its impact on our well-being, relationships, and ability to work. We also presented some devastating findings of the impact of climate anxiety on youth and chatted with Frida Heilander about her experience supporting individuals experiencing climate anxiety. We also heard the voices of staff and students at the IIIEE about their own experiences with climate anxiety. Across our conversations on and off the podcast, as well as throughout the research that we explored to produce this episode, there were several suggestions that we can summarize now on how to avoid being overwhelmed by climate anxiety. First, psychologists suggest to focus on what you can control, what's in the realm of your ability to influence. Second, take time away from the news or other things that you find triggering that cause or induce feelings of anxiety. You may wish to think or focus on the positives. So that means supplementing negative news with maybe more happy or more local news stories of communities coming together. It's also important to take time for yourself. And that means experimenting with the self-care routines that bring you joy and help you to cope with the feelings brought out by climate anxiety. It's important to remember you are not alone. And remember that the two most effective coping strategies are taking action and finding a community. There are so many small initiatives happening across the world that together do paint a hopeful picture of communities coming together to address and solve many local environmental issues. And this is in spite of being divided by politics or media and in the face of misinformation. As Frida suggests, taking an action helps to address our feeling of climate anxiety by giving us the feeling of agency, the feeling that we are able to do something to contribute to a better world. It may be small individual actions like choosing an environmentally friendly diet, buying secondhand, or not making a planned purchase, or simply taking public transit. Action may also include holding those with responsibility accountable and pushing for greater action on climate change. Myself, I write letters to politicians and businesses, what I call better letters, writing a letter to better our world. Um, I also participate in demonstrations or marches in my local communities. But consider what action feels authentic and reasonable to you. It may be finding a local cause or organization to contribute to. This is a great opportunity to get connected with others with similar values and help give you a sense of community and belonging among others dealing with similar emotions as a result of climate change. The truth is we're all feeling nervous about the future and the coronavirus pandemic certainly hasn't helped matters. But ignoring the problem won't ease the burden or anxiety felt by these global challenges. And we hope that in this episode, we were able to encourage you, inspire you, or even support you in ways to process your emotional responses to climate change. And for those of you listeners that are Swedish and speak Swedish, you can find resources by Frida Helander, including her podcast. We will include this and other resources in our newsletter. You can sign up for a monthly newsletter by visiting our website at www.iiiee.lu.se slash podcast. 
This podcast is produced by the International Institute for Industrial Environmental Economics at Lund University. At our institute, we produce and share actionable knowledge to accelerate the transitions to climate neutral and resource efficient economies. We also educate future leaders and change agents with two master's programs, as well as our massive open online courses called MOOCs, which can be found on the Coursera platform. Find out more information about our research and education at www.iiee.lu.se. That's www.iiee.lu.se. Once again, we want to thank Frida Heilander and all of the students and staff from the IIEE who joined us for the creation of this podcast. Also, a special thanks to our production assistant, Franz Libertson. And of course, thank you for joining us in another episode of Advancing Sustainable Solutions. We have another episode coming out in October. Until next time, take care. Bye-bye.